Welcome to Aging for Beginners with Dr. Doug and Dave. Dr. Doug Wilson is a leading medical researcher who has spent the past 30 years reading every bit of research there is on ageing. He knows a thing or two about getting older, and of course he has a vested interest. He's 82 and he's in his prime. I'm Dave King. I'm a middle-aged man with terrible genes and a fear about what the future holds. Can Doug set me on the right path? Welcome to Aging for Beginners, your podcast designed to help you live longer, healthier, uh, but no money-back guarantees on this. Now, it is my absolute delight to welcome Doug Wilson. Doug, how are you? I'm well, Dave. That is very good to hear. I am well and COVID-free, but my goodness, I am not worry-free at the moment. Delta is a nightmare, and I I feel like... um, at the moment, we're as finely balanced and poised as we've been throughout the crisis. So I just wanted to talk to you about Delta and, and where we're at. So why is it so nasty? Well, it's not really that much nastier than the Alpha which uh, variant, which was the prime one, first of all. Um, it is, however, significantly more infectious, which means it can take over uh, the premier position in different countries, and in almost every country now, Delta is the primary infecting variant of of the uh, of the virus. Um, it, it probably is a little bit more severe in that some of the uh, stories coming from American hospitals of unvaccinated individuals is really very scary. As uh, you, I listened to one young nurse talking from Nashville, Tennessee. She was a fairly new nurse and she has a, um, ICU beds, intensive care beds of about 30-odd in her hospital, all filled, and she thinks probably almost everybody in those beds will die. Oh, gosh. It's, 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 it's fa- fairly nasty. So yeah. the important thing about it is it's, it's more infectious. And I think one of the great difficulties in any intervention with the, um, with the infection is the fact that asymptomatic people can present with and carry the virus and spread it. And so therefore it can be very difficult to determine if someone is or is not infectious uh, just on the basis of do they have symptoms or don't they? Uh, the original version of SARS, which was a, uh, a lethal one and about 15 years ago, coming also from, from China, certainly from Hong Kong, killed a number of, of individuals but the infectious period was short and was always accompanied with symptoms, so it was much, much easier to deal with. But the present one is you can have someone walking around feeling pretty good, they could be spreading the virus, and they're asymptomatic. So at this stage, how does one, in fact, defend uh, a population against such a nasty infection, particularly as it was killing so many individuals? It's just it's just total guesswork, isn't it? You don't know you're infectious. That's the that's that's, right. yeah. It's so tough. Yep, it's 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 really really difficult. Um, so the exercise is, and the very standard approach that people have been doing for a couple of hundred years is: first of all, you lock down, you try and uh, sequester people, you try and quarantine them, so that they can't spread the infection to somebody else. Yeah. Now, at this stage, of course, that requires some method of identifying the fact that they have the infection, which means testing. 
and that is the nasal testing because the, the infection is on the nasal mucosa inside the nose. And when one has this slightly in, in interventionist probing with the swab to take a, um, a, a test, uh, it it's, doesn't trouble most people, but a few people don't like it very much. Uh, and then, of course, the test takes um, 36 hours or more to be completed. And in that time, you're between that, you're and during that period, you're not quite sure what's going to happen. So, first of all, you know that the virus is coming because it, it's people are getting sick and dying. Secondly, you then identify as soon as you can a test to identify the virus. And these days, with modern technology and modern plotting of the of, of, of the structure of the virus, it was very very short period of time before a test was available in a matter of just, just a few weeks. So that meant that there was a weapon. So we had an infection and we knew what it was. We knew it was a uh, coronavirus, which we knew a great deal about internationally. And then we knew how, how we could test it, both to quantify it and to identify it and even to, die, even to identify variants of variants. So we at least had a weapon. So at that stage, mm. the only intervention that was logical was lockdown. So mm. if you lock people, lock people down and quarantine them so they couldn't spread, that was okay, provided you then had to deal with the people who were looking after the, the patients in hospital. So they have to have special protective clothing, special protective masks, so they didn't get infection and they, did, they didn't end up as carriers of, of, of the virus. So at mm. that stage, the approach was here is one intervention. Mm. The next stage was can we get a virus? Now, the expectation, my expectation of the virus would be was at that time we might get one in about 18 months. The drama was we, in fact, a virus was developed, tested, shown to be highly efficacious in nine months. Mm. So nice. that was absolutely dazzling. This is medical science at its very, very best. So nine months from go to woe, the fastest ever before was four years for um, mumps uh, vaccine. So at this stage, we now had two, two, two manoeuvres. We had, first of all, the lockdown that to stop the spreading. Secondly, we had the virus. that. Then we had the testing. Then we had the virus that appeared. And at this stage, public health measures were spread across most many countries of the world. So people wore, wore masks, washed, washed their hands, kept their distance and um, waited until the, there was uh, 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 there were other interventions that might help. For example, a great deal of work was done incidentally on can we create an antivirus drug? Mm. That was the outcome that was successful in HIV where they still don't have a vaccine after many, many years, but they do have effective and useful antivirus drugs. So a great deal of work went on to find antivirus drugs, which proved to be quite a struggle. There were some marginal improvements. At the same time, in some of the hospitals, the inflammatory process induced by the host, the infected patient, uh, and the virus could be controlled to some extent by a drug called dexamethasone, an older cortisone type of drug. Mm. So that lowered the dangers of people in the hospital, they still have the infection, they could still die. But at this stage, you reduce to some extent that their chances of, of, of dying from that with, with these interventions. 
There were some issues with blood clots, and that was dealt with again by some standard medication. So the quality of, of the um, hospital management improved, um, not completely, but certainly improved from what, where it was before. And then lo and behold, the vaccine came and was 95% effective in reducing severe attacks, mm. reducing hospitalization, and reducing death. So mm. boy, we, the, the, um, the, the two key arms of defending yourself against the virus mm. were lockdown, first of all, and then the vaccine. Yeah, yeah. And that puts us in a much better position, does it? And and if you think 18 months ago, worrying about older people, because it was very clear early on, wasn't it, that it was particularly vicious uh, if you had a um, few more miles on the clock than perhaps someone else. That, that's, that's true, David. And, and this information came very, very quickly from the um, Chinese medical community mm. because they identified that... Um, of patients who were dying, because that stage there was no intervention at all, other than mm. lockdown or being in hospital, that about 15% of people who died with the virus were over the age of 80. Mm. About 10 or 10% were over the age of 70. Uh, but under the age of 50, there were almost no, no deaths whatsoever. It was quite clearly far more dangerous for people who were, who were older. Mm. Uh, and so that meant that they, in fact, had... had um, were especially looked after, taking extreme care. There were mm. other conditions like obesity, high blood pressure, cancer, that also increased the risk of someone dying from the infection. But however, if, if you were younger in the community, as I, as I said, you were mm. probably much safer. Mm. Now, of course, with, the, uh, with, with different variants appearing, um, without vaccination, if you are totally unvaccinated, you are you are presenting to hospitals people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s and 60s with the infection and are just as likely to die. So the more recent variant um, is at least infecting younger people as well as the older people, but the pre-existing conditions that I mentioned before, the obesity and the diabetes, et cetera, uh, are significantly making the outcome, outcome worse. But at least we know which ones are at risk which ones are not. So mm. the curious phenomena in New Zealand, we did remarkably well with counter lockdown. Mm. And in doing well with lockdown, it was because the whole community got behind the policy that the government had instituted. They in, uh, made decisions rapidly. They made good, sensible decisions. Um, and so the country had its first four weeks of lockdown uh, last year. And at this and at this stage, we all participated, and the consequence was, although we were having in the first weeks of the infection of, of the epidemic, uh, a number of cases identified every day, and number a few deaths and hospitalizations. Mm. This was drawn almost to a complete halt by the lockdown. Mm. So we were good at it. We did it well. Everybody participated. And it was admirable in terms of what happened. We didn't have the vaccine at this stage, but the vaccine was still during its development phase. But at least we knew that the lockdown worked. Mm. However, going forward, we had to recognise that the hospitals needed support. We were short of nurses. We were short of nurses well before the um, epidemic arrived. So that contributed to the um, manoeuvres that, as well as lockdown, many of the hospitals had to 
uh, delay their standard um, uh, activities they were pursuing. And particularly, this was a problem for people with cancer who needed to have their regular treatments, be it um, radiation or chemotherapy. Uh, and these were being delayed as the hospitals were had to deal with the first flood of the COVID cases. Since that time, there have been other innovations which have been helpful uh, in other countries. Salivary mm. testing has clearly been shown to be equivalent to the standard nasal testing that we've been doing before. Much easier to do, faster to do, simpler to do and more acceptable. But in New Zealand, for some reason or other, despite the support from the, uh, particularly from, from, from Yale University where a couple, some New Zealanders were involved with the saliva testing, mm. we haven't as yet uh, fully allowed everybody to get, proceed to salivary testing, which remove at least one modest barrier to people's acceptance of, 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 of management. There were, in fact, a number of approaches that to do rapid antigen testing. By this, it means that instead of waiting for 36 hours or 48 hours for the result, you can get the result in 15 minutes. It was mm -hmm. a New Zealand company that uh, had such a, um, a, a testing procedure. Nothing happened um, with the ant rapid antigen testing. And it certainly local hospitals were seeking from, from the Ministry of Health access to the rapid testing. And the reason why it's effective is although it might not be quite as sensitive as the approach we're taking at the moment, if you know, if you test and someone is positive, that we're sitting in a waiting room at a hospital, you can take immediate action rather than having to quarantine them and just wait to see what, what the result is. So mm. we, we haven't been doing the salivary testing, which we should. We haven't been doing the fast antigen testing, which we should. Uh, and we can't deal with the shortage of nurses because that is, is, is a long-standing issue. Mm. Next, next activity is you can't have lockdown and without the vaccine. You, you, you can, of course, but the lockdown procedure is a delaying procedure until you get proper uh, vaccine development. And at the beginning, we didn't know how long that would take. And the marvel was it was so fast and so effective that that required an, an immediate race across the world to get the vaccines and secondly, to in, in, get them into people's arms. So um, at the end of 2020, the first vaccines appeared and the two countries were ahead of the rest of the world, the UK and Israel, um, as, as two examples. They started to vaccinate people very, very rapidly. They were creative about the way they delivered the vaccine uh, in, in, in various ways. You could, in fact, walk into Westminster Abbey in London uh, and get the vaccine when you were when you were there. It was offered nice. to everybody. It was so so effective, and the delivery and the number and the number of positive cases, positive uh, vaccinated people, raced ahead, and as it did in um, in Israel. And for some reason or other, we didn't pursue that as nearly as effectively. At one stage, we were 124th country in the world, with one being the most vaccinated and anything above 100 very, very poorly vaccinated. So it's not quite clear to me why, why on earth the Ministry of Health's plans to get the vaccination going as fast as we can uh, tended to be as slow as it was. At least now, 
uh, people have got the understanding that it's the vaccination is our way out of this mess because the mess is the proceeding and having to institute um, lockdown with all its penalties, proceeding to lock, lock down while we've been slow with vaccination. Uh, and saying how good you are now is fine, but you do have to ensure that the very, very inadequate processes that were used to deliver the vaccine uh, have been resolved. And to some extent, this is obviously happening. And we have to be sure that when a booster jab is needed, and the answer for that is almost certainly it will be needed, that we do not revert to where we were before with a very poorly and inadequately managed delivery system. Two, um, I was reading that polio vaccine take-up was 100% in, 19, in the 1950s. Was that, so to be fair, it's much easier to, it would have been much easier in the 1950s, I would have thought, in the way society worked to just make it mandatory and vaccinate all the kids. But, but you're dealing with the great uh, general public in this campaign, which is always going to be difficult, isn't it? You're never going to get 100%. You're never going to get 100%. I, I, you know, I, I recall the polio um, uh, epidemic uh, very vividly. There were, there were kids who were dying and there were kids who were in an iron lung because they couldn't mm. breathe by themselves. Uh, and there were kids who were paralysed, and we could see individuals afterwards who recovered, but they had permanent permanent limp or permanent mm. weakness in, in one limb as a consequence of the polio. It was scary, and mm. this was all around the world. So Dr. Salk developed the first vaccine, which was by injection, and Dr. Sabin and the Russians mm. developed the successor vaccination, which, in fact, was a, a liquid one, and you put a, put a drop of the vaccine, vaccine liquid on a, on a sugar lump and swallow that um, or just put it in a little weed dish and just swallow that. So mm. much easier, more acceptable. So at schools, uh, or, or in this case, I was just at university, you went mm. along and we all just, just lined up. So it, it only took um, 30 seconds and that was it. Miracle. Mm. No wonder it was everyone did it. <laughs> Yeah, I think that people were people were, were were seriously scared. We did have a three month lockdown when mm. I was a school kid uh, to try and uh, abort the epidemic in New Zealand. It didn't really make a great deal of difference for some funny reason, but anyway, at least that was tried for three mm. months of lockdown. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So where um, where are we going to go? You, you, there's no doubt you, in your mind that boosters are the way. Well, in fact, the, um, the, the the different pieces of information have have, have been have, have emerged. The mm. first is that it seems um, even after people who have the double jabs, that their um, uh, immunity does start to fade after about six months. Not completely, but it's still still effective. And therefore, you can restore that immunity very quickly and even sometimes even better than before by a booster shot. And then there have been uh, evidence this week or last late last week, I think, from, from Israel, who are one of the, the leaders in, in, in this area, to show that um, the re-hospitalisation rate, the reinfection rate of some fully vaccinated people 
uh, has occurred, usually much milder than, uh, than before, but they can have, a, have an infection even if they've been double vaccinated, and usually mild. Uh, but they've now shown that the, if they have the booster shot, you could extend their immunity protection and you can significantly reduce their risk of developing a subsequent breakthrough um, infection. Mm. So the, um, the, the the present vaccine is not perfect. Uh, you do have a, a, a subgroup of individuals who will not have vaccine, vaccine. So there is a vaccinated population who are those who lead the race to hospital. Mm. There are some breakthrough vaccinations which will occur um, and particularly more commonly with time after the, uh, the, the the full vaccination has finished. But the booster seems to abort that. And so almost certainly we'll all be having a booster. And that means that various organisations who have been good at delivering the first um, vaccine have to get themselves geared up to do the other. And a, an organisation such as Ryman who have been so effective in delivering their vaccines in both New Zealand and Australia. 97%. And we 97%. Have been well, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. That's and we have been for a few weeks. Yeah. Uh, and so we know that if you are under the control of Ryman, that when the booster shots are decided on, which that um, almost certainly will be so, that the same system will go in and rattle through and everybody can get themselves protected. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It'll, it'll just be get on and do it. Do you see that we will need a so so maybe a booster shot in the sort of medium term months ahead? Yes. Um, do you see that kind of being a yearly booster shot, or I don't think we know at the moment. You just don't know. It, it's, yeah, it's a rapidly unfolding situation. I do, I do absolutely love the, uh, your description of the race to hospital. That's a race I don't want to win. <laughs> no one wants to win. Exactly. It's, 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 it's a terrible time. Why would you want to be in that race? Yeah. I think yeah. the booster shots serve two purposes. Yes. They restore immunity, which might have begun to fade a little with time. Uh, and secondly, they may be redesigned for a different variant that is likely to appear as, as are appearing. And it's very simple with the uh, um, mRNA vaccines to alter the recipe. Uh, and so you can not only have a vaccine that restores immunity, you can have a vaccine that restores immunity and is effective against uh, as yet unidentified new variants. Mm. Mm. So we, we do the same for we do the same for flu. And in, influenza is um, influenza vaccine is nowhere near as effective as is the COVID-19 vaccine. COVID-19 mm. vaccine is absolutely outstanding, one of the most impressive uh, efficacies seen with any vaccine. Wonderful. Mm. It is a, yeah, it's a modern miracle, isn't it? So would your, would your view be that overall we've done really well, but we've found out that we've got some pretty creaky infrastructure in terms of the way we respond, the way we do saliva testing, the way the way we adopt new ways of doing things, but also our vaccination program is pretty all over the place. We're very good at lockdown and we're yeah. very good at making decisions and the government's very good at making decisions about initiating lockdown, uh, very good at supporting that with uh, contact tracing. Uh, that's done exceedingly well. Very good at um, 
at tracking the different variants in terms of their structure. So you can, in fact, identify which families they've come from. So all that is outstanding. There's just no question about it. The issue then is um, we have been very poor at in, in uh, adopting some of the new um, and certainly more, more comfortable uh, and more valuable ways of testing, such as the library testing and fast antigen testing. Why on earth we haven't adopted saliva to this date, I have no idea. Mm. Um, we have been very poor in terms of building an infrastructure to uh, get the vaccines into people's arms. One of the best ways to persuade any people who are hesitant is to go along and get it and, and talk to their GP. And if you can talk mm. to your GP and have the vaccine there and then, that would be fine. But, of course, in the initial days, you couldn't because all the vaccination programs were run by the DHBs. And I know that groups like um, like like uh, people that I, I know of, you had a different strategy between one DHB and another so that you either got the system worked well or the system didn't work very, very, very well. And I think that it's only recently they people have loosened up the, the rules so that... Um, now, GPs and pharmacists, um, both of whom are very experienced in delivering influenza vaccine, but both those groups can now give you your vaccine. The reason mm. why it's always been hesitant is because there is a very, very low risk of some adverse effects like anaphylaxis, like an allergy reaction. But people are aware of that, but it only occurs in about one to five cases per million. So it's rare and everybody knows what to do. So there's mm -hmm. no reason why you shouldn't have them done by the GP and no reason why you shouldn't have them done by a pharmacist. Yeah, yeah. So it's there. The infrastructure's there. The infrastructure's there. Yeah. It's co coordination of that. I think that's, that's so difficult. Now, the mm. problem is at the moment um, in those countries where the vaccination rates are much higher, it, the cases arriving in hospital are almost all non-vaccinated. Mm. Mm. So it is, and in, in fact, in some parts of America, they're calling it the uh, the epidemic of the unvaccinated. Mm. Mm. So they're the ones who are dying. They're the ones who are blocking hospital beds. Uh, mm. Even if, if, if you if you take a population of a million people and five percent of them, or ten percent of them, uh, will will not have the vaccine for one reason or another, you've in fact you've got um, nine hundred thousand people who are reasonably well protected from serious outcome or, or hospitalisation or death, but you've got 100,000 of people who are very vulnerable mm. and uh, they will constitute the, the real serious pressure on the, on the hospital institutions. Mm. Well, thank you um, again, Doug. That is a great summary. And once again, you have done all the thinking for me. It does feel very, very very, very tightly poised this week, doesn't it? If you were the Prime Minister, what would you do? I would actually, um, the, uh, the, some of the decisions that are made now uh, on the uh, issues around lockdown and uh, providing um, financial support for, for businesses mm. um, are long-term, have long-term consequences. Mm. Uh, and I think that there should be... Um, much more um, support from other members, other parties in, in, in government. Mm. So there's some, some, some cross-political agreement 
on decisions that are making that it's going to last 20 years for us yeah. to sort of have to deal with. I, I do think that that the, the uh, uh, urgent urgent um, acceptance of salivary testing, urgent acceptance of of of, of a, a, a rapid testing, which is starting to happen, mm. needs to occur, and the infrastructure has to be set up for the um, for blocking uh, for, for for the booster shots. And then I think you've got to at this stage you you you've got to pray because all you can do is deal with the clusters as they occur. Mm. And I think that with our elimination strategy, that's in fact what the country is doing. But there has to be a, a period of time where we have to accept the fact that we live in in, in a world where there are hun- there have been hundreds of millions of people who've been infected. Mm. There's the viruses in every country in the world, mm. and so we can't isolate ourselves for much longer from the rest of the world because the mental uh, health consequences of that are terrible for many people. The financial consequences for business are absolutely disastrous for people. Lives are disrupted. And to some extent, the consequences of, of lo- repeated lockdown may even be worse for many people than the infection itself. Mm. So there is a really real difficulty and a, and a balance at this stage. But that balance has to understand um, that the vaccine and its delivery and the subsequent Booster uh, vaccine has to get under the best control and uh, and 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 get less and and get lessons from countries like Israel and the UK um, where they are ahead of us from some some in initiating mm. just the future. Yeah, they, they, so it's in our hands, isn't it? We've got the answers. We've just got to do it. It's in so. our hands. And we do have the rest of the world with a number of examples which we can look at and either accept or not, as the case may be. Mm, yeah. Hey, that is wonderful, Doug. Thank you so much again for, as I said, doing the thinking for me. Brilliant. Take Thank care. You. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.